Once you hit 40, 80% of your purchases are the same. Welcome to Tell Me Something Good About Retail, the podcast of The Retail Doctor, and I'm your host, Bob Fibbs. In today's episode, I get to talk again to Paco Underhill, author of the seminal book, Why We Buy, The Science of Shopping, as well as The Call of the Mall and What Women Want and a lot more. He's also the founder of Envirocell. So let's get to it. Well, I am thrilled to have Paco Underhill, who is the author of uh, Why We Buy and I'm trying to think, what's your other one? Is uh, Call of the Mall, isn't it? Uh, I also have What Women Want here. That's one of your newest ones, is that it? Uh, that's one of the newer ones, and I, so. uh, I have one that's been bought by Simon and Chester and is in the pipeline now, and that's called um, The Future of Eating and Drinking. Are we going to eat and drink in the future, my friend? You know, um, I think that the body of the world of consumption is intact. It's just the face that's in transition like that. Well, listen, I want to get back to really quick. Um, you wrote The Call of the Mall, and that was like 15 years ago, right? And the whole idea was that malls are important because of all the services they provide and what they do for community and, and all of that. And, you know, it seems like everybody and their uncle is wanting to put the death knell on the mall and you know, it's going to be until there's a vaccine, no one's going to go to a mall. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. I'm a little opinionated on this subject, but I want okay. to hear the expert. Uh, um, first of all, um, the at a recent Goldman, Goldman Sachs conference, somebody got up and said, Paco Underhill wrote that book about 10 years too early and that it is more relevant now than it's ever been before and that much of what you were writing about back then is, is, is extremely relevant now. And this is one of the basic issues that the cutting edge of the shopping mall left North America 30 years ago, okay? That if we think about shopping malls in other parts of the world, they have reinvented themselves and reinvigorated themselves. And many of them are not malls, they're alls. They are comprehensive exercises in urban planning and not in get-rich-quick schemes by um, real estate investors. That the, that the all has, has housing, has offices, may have churches, libraries, schools, um, and the tenant mix is a complete selection of people's needs and not the narrow mix that historically we have seen here in the U.S. So uh, you think this is going to be a chance for, uh, is it going to be A-list malls that are going to be able to see that? I know when I went to Alaska probably 30 years ago and I was shocked that there's a mall up there in Alaska in Anchorage and it had the post office and had the library. I know Seattle has uh, libraries in their malls. Uh, but it would seem like you would think that medical offices seem like they should be in malls and other things. So will it be the A malls, do you think, or would it be the C and D malls where a pennies is closed and now they're trying to be invented? How would you see that playing out? I mean, part of what the, part of what the dilemma is, is that for us malls, one of the least understood assets that they have is the crumbling parking lot that surrounds them. 
But the, but the problem is that the transformation of those properties isn't something that happens in a quarter. It isn't just a quick solution. It is probably a, a three-year process to be able to file the plans, do the construction, do the reinvention. And for so many, particularly U.S. Shop, shopping malls that are answerable to Wall Street for quarterly results, I think that the process here is going to be very difficult. I thought it was very interesting that um, Westfield, the Australian uh, shopping mall operator, went private with a European uh, shopping mall operator. And at the um, uh, one of their properties in New Jersey, they are constructing an odd apartment building right at the mall. And you know, if you think of it, there are many malls in Minnesota or wherever where, where people are going, I can't live in a suburban home any, anymore, but I want to stay around my friends and my family. Wouldn't it be nice if I could be somewhere where I could walk or take the elevator to, um, to, a, whole, to a Whole Foods? If you think of the Time Warner Center here in New York City, in the back corner of the store is an elevator going up to the apartment complex above. If you think of- uh, You got Brand in uh, the Americana in Glendale, right? He was the first that sat on the West Coast. if if, If you think of Tokyo Midtown, the value of the real estate is in enhanced by the access to stores, restaurants, movie theaters, whatever, um, that's convenience-driven. Do you um, think that COVID is going to affect that in any way? Are we, in a, are we going to be in a, you know, are, 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 real, are malls or realtors, are they, actually not realtors, um, retailers, are they going to have a chief medical officer going forward? Is this something that we're all going to have to be facing or is this a temp, what do you think? Well, I think there are, a, there are a number of issues here because, first of all, is the rethinking of the physical, physical space, which is what we just went through. Yeah. Second is the, is the um, is a reconstruction of management and how these facilities are run. Um, part of what we're looking at is the tiredness of the retail brokerage industry, where everybody was focused on getting the longest term lease because that's how I got the biggest commission from the deal. And yet, if you if you think of it, uh, a modern shopping mall, you should have a certain percentage of those spaces that are for rent on a monthly or a quarterly basis for people to come in and do seasonal businesses and do something different. Um, Not just when a store has gone out and it's like, oh, here, take over this failed space and, and you know, look, you want to actually have it planned, like almost like story at Macy's or pop-up shops that this is what goes here, not this is an afterthought. This is what goes here. It, 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 it may be um, co-tenancies here where you have, um, you know, the, the Croc shoe store is open from April to September. September and the Christmas tree store is open between, you know, no. 
member yeah. and where whenever. But those are all things that are eminently more creative uses of spaces. And the fact that just from the standpoint of fixturing or whatever, that it is very doable in 2020 to be able to be eminently more flexible about how things work. Well, you know, you also, I didn't mean to interrupt. I have so much I want to talk to you about. You're just such a, you're such a font of knowledge. You know, the other thing I've, I seem to be real uh, reading about is how a lot of these malls also are consortiums of various investors. So they don't really have one person necessarily. They're answering to a lot of, of interest, which also probably stops innovation as well, right? Because you're trying to build consensus and that's got to be pretty hard when some people are saying, you know, we might have to close down for a couple of years and retool. It's like, no, not on your life. I mean, yeah, I need my I need my return on investment. Um, Le Grand Plaza, are you familiar, I'm not with, familiar with that property? One. It's it's a it's a shopping mall in Fort Fort Worth, Texas. Okay, it is themed for a Hispanic audience, okay. and people will drive an hour. 99 90 minutes to uh, get there it it was a failed mall that somebody did a very nice job of reinventing i was just talking to the operator of that mall who said that he is still getting 80 percent of his rents simply because he has the broad cross-section of tenants within the context of the mall and there it's it's you know there's a grocery store there's a uh, there's a legal offices there's a, a medical offices uh, there's a there's a reason for people to be there but i think probably what is even more important is that the mall operator isn't in the background now what does that the mean mall paco operator is right up front running the mall um, and if you think of it, they're most U.S. U.S. malls. We have no idea of what the management structure is, or no idea of the presence of the landlord on the floor. There is no, you know, doorman to the building. There's nobody asking questions. There's no. There's no we. You're on, on on your own. Yeah. Which, of course, makes it easier for me to say, "I'm not paying rent, faceless That's right. individual. Screw you." Well, so, you know, I have, and you've been gracious with your time. I have to be very careful. I don't overstep, but so the new consumer, the new consumer, you know, I am hearing the doom and gloomers that forever were always changed. We'll never go back to malls. It'll always be this. And I tend to think we are creatures of habit. Are we creatures of habit or are we fundamentally uh, altered to be using Instacart for grocery forever? What are your thoughts? I think here part of what we have to recognize is that retail is the dipstick of social change. And just as we recognize that what what made a good store in 2000 and what made a good store in 2020 are different, and they're a reflection of the changes in us. And that one of the challenges of the shopping mall is that the shopping mall has been stuck Mm. in 1985 and, and, and hasn't evolved with us here. That and you know, are we creatures of habit? The the issue is, we love our children. 
we still eat and drink. We still need to furnish our homes. We also know that about 30% of Americans cannot accept an online purchase at their home during the working day or at the office because they are nurses, doctors, construction supervisors. It's an array of blue, pink, and white collar jobs. Um, therefore, the, the idea of order online pickup at the store, order online pickup at the mall, I, I think are eminently viable. But part of what we're looking at is a better sense of what is the connection between the trucking bay in the back and the front door up front. And how is the process of being able to um, put stuff in the back of your car going to be facilitated in our modern tech-enabled uh, world? And sure, I think, yes, we are going to still want to go out on occasion. Yes. A certain amount of our purchases are going to be done via subscription. And mm -hmm. we recognize, Bob, that once we reach age 40, 80% of our weekly purchases are the same thing. That was just me. We, 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 we know the kind of dog food <laughs> we like. We know the kind of mustard we like. And yes, are there some changes that are a reflection of who's coming to visit or something that we want to try? But yeah, there, there's, a, there's a basic model, model here that is very ripe for reinvention. And to point at whether it's the mall or the grocery store, all of those things are... Uh, um, in the process of being reinvented and in the lee of what we're going on, yeah, we're going to see a lot of fertilizer out there because as I told you before, retail is about birth, life, death, yeah. and fertilizer and yeah. compost. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of compost out there. Yeah. You know, uh, two years ago, last two years, I think we would hear over and over, it's all about experiential retail. We have to experiential retail. People have to be able to be like, take it out of it. I think that's all changed. How does an orchestra perform going forward if we don't get past this? How do we go back to Broadway? How do we have concerts? How do we do conferences? I know we will, but it's that that time in between now that has um, got a lot of question marks on it. So to your point, I think a lot of people are going to try to figure it out. But the danger for me is if we go into this, that um, this has fundamentally altered who we are, and I'm, I'm not sure it has. Do you think it has? Well, um, well, first of all, in terms of that experiential question, I was talking to a shopping mall operator in Moscow, operating Moscow's largest mall, and she was telling me what a major headache TikTok has been, that the teenagers are gathering in the mall and are misbehaving. And 90% of them, 97% of them, you know, they're just doing dance numbers and whatever. But 3% of them are, you know, hanging off the balconies and doing dangerous, dangerous stuff. stuff. So I, I, I think there's some experiential issues here. This season is sponsored by Springboard Retail POS. 
You know, one of the biggest challenges I hear from listeners, and whether they're selling from a store, from trunk shows, pop-ups, or just online, is that they want great, easy-to-use data. On top of that, they want customizable reporting. Well, that's where Springboard Retail comes in. Their best-in-class reporting helps you run a best-in-class retail operation. Higher sales, higher margins, and faster sell-through. Springboard Retail's customer success team will help you get all of your historical data into Springboard and get you up and running in a flash with a one-on-one personalized onboarding experience that's run by actual humans. And now it's even easier for you listeners to supercharge your business with Springboard Retail POS. Just visit springboardretail.com forward slash retail doc and you'll receive 20% off your first year. Now back to the show. I can remember you know, working on the board of a Brazilian shopping mall company and we had uh, teenagers gathering in our parking lots that were misbehaving. And, you know, we had two solutions. One was to, uh, you know, call the cops. And the other was to pipe, you know, Montavani music out into the parking lot, which was an eminently more effective way of driving them out. Yeah. um, And a certain consumer said, wow, that's a great welcoming way for me to go to the mall. Thanks. Never thinking. Exactly. Um, So... Yes, I think there there are a number of things that are going to change. I mean, first of all, um, that the issue of digital literacy, which is something we just have gone through, is going to become much and much less ad hoc and more something that is earned, uh, learned and trained. That's yeah. one. Yeah. Second is that our our understanding and our appreciation of hygiene is going to be eminently more um, conscious part of our decision making. And yeah. some of this is recognizing at what point in the design process do we consider keeping something clean? Well, you got me to the next point I wanted to make sure we get to is how do you think this influences store design? You know, are we um, going to really be looking at one-way stores? Are we going to be looking at I don't know, eight foot aisles and how does that work in a world of boutiques that are much, much smaller? And does it, you know, it's the same idea with restaurants. If you've built it, that the return only happens with 50 um, tables and that turn over a certain time. And now we're looking at maybe a third of those. You can do that for a little while, maybe, but um, the, the economics don't play out. So if that's what happens in retail design, is it just the bigger going to get bigger and, and we're going to have much smaller stores? Well, I, I think there are a couple of factors here. And these are things which uh, certainly I'm not sure of, but I can, I can you know, first from 50,000 feet up, re- retail rents are going to have to come down. Okay. And I, I think a lot of particularly urban spaces, and I live here in New York City, and stores that uh, that 15 years ago rented for $3,000 a month are now the the asking price is $40,000 a yeah. month. So yeah. some of that is going to have to play out. Second is that historically within um, grocery and mass retail, we we thought about the issue of adjacencies. What do I put next to what? And this was this resulted in there were aisles that got very little traffic and there were aisles that got a lot of traffic. That there were categories where people would 
come in, grab what they were looking for, and leave. And there were categories that people wanted to stay and look at and be able to pick out something. I think what you're going to get to is somebody looking at the floor of the store and going, let's do a better job of managing who goes where and where the carpet wear happens. And can we even out the carpet, carpet, carpet wear in a way that makes the store um, uh, easier to manage in terms of the number of people? Um, easier to maintain social distancing? I, 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 and I think that's a very interesting question. You know, less than 10% of the people walking in the door of a grocery store walk down the carbonated beverage aisle. Less than 10%. Think of how much space it takes up. I, think about all the space. Wow. Um, think about the, you know, bag and wrap section. Does anybody go browse in the bag and wrap section? No, they no, they don't. But there are places where someone is looking at cookies or coffee or something else where somebody often takes a little time because there is some choice or some curatorial things put into it. So certainly there's a degree of reinvention that's going to happen there. Well, grocery stores, um, I think, are just in general, uh, for years, you know, people aren't going down the aisles like they used to, right? And remember how true. people talked about no one's buying canned goods anymore and no one's buying those basics. That all kind of changed three, three months ago. Suddenly, well, our, you were the smart ones having cans. Well, um, you know, I, I, still, I still haven't bought a can of vet, vegetables yet, but I'm certainly aware that many of us uh, don't know how to use our freezers. Yeah, I'm a frozen guy. I'd rather buy frozen vegetables than cans myself. I don't yeah, know. yeah. I mean, and and the uh, this is one of the topics of the new book is how do we get to a better sense of education? And certainly, one of the things that we're looking at is uh, you know Walmart told me last week that one of the hottest categories in general merchandise now is kitchen stuff. You know, people are buying rice cookers and panini makers and whatever because our home cooking skills are 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 getting jump started. Being elevated, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And plus, you, I think I read that I think millennial generation is uh, grew up on the Food Network. That wasn't my experience. Julia Child was on in the afternoon. Who'd be watching Julia Child? But a lot of people certainly have rediscovered cooking and that sense of completion and doing something for yourself. And there's a lot I think that. That makes that good. When, uh, when is your book going to come out, by the way? Uh, inquiring minds would love to know here. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to make sure that you're on for uh, to help promo that. But if you were to give me, <laughs> what, do, what do you think holiday looks like? You know, give me three ideas you think that uh, holiday 2020 might look like. And I'm not going to hold you to it, but I'm, I'm already okay. trying to think of it myself. So, Well, first of all, I, I think that the idea of indulgent consumables is going to be um, that people are going to be buying things to eat and drink that are special. I think um, we're on the, the cusp of a new hedonism myself. I think. That, and this that, is, this is, uh, you know, I'm not going to buy Prada bags, but I might buy a stray bottle of Johnny Walker blue. Okay. Um, second is, is that, yeah, so, puzzles, those kind of things. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, the degree to which we are, you know, learning to do things and play things and 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 be with each other. So, um, 
those are those those are two holiday predictions for you, bro. I think that's good. Well, listen, I appreciate your time today, and uh, anything that you'd like to say that I haven't brought up yet. Oh, I don't know. I think I'm 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 unfortunately never at the loss for words here. But you know, thank you for wow. thank you for paying attention and for Absolutely. a you know bald you know stuttering uh, aging nerd. Um, I have. Uh, I have had more attention played to me by August figures in the media over the past 10 days than I've had in the past 10 months. Thank yeah, you. Bet. Well, you deserve it. You're the, you're the rock that a lot of us uh, stand on knowing all the work that you've done ahead of time, my friend. So um, I appreciate it. And we'll have you on again. Again, always great speaking to you, Paco. Thanks again to my guest, Paco Underhill. While shopping in general is the same, how we do it and how often is still being written in the advent of COVID-19. That much seems obvious from our discussion. On next week's episode, I'll be speaking with Ben Rodier of SalesFloor about virtual selling and clienteling. Well, you won't want to miss it either. I'm Bob Fibbs, the Retail Doctor. Thanks again for listening. Tell Me Something Good About Retail is the podcast of The Retail Doctor. Visit RetailDoc.com to learn what makes Bob Fibbs the authority on brick-and-mortar retail across the world, who works with some of the biggest brands all the way down to the smallest mom and pops. As a listener of the Tell Me Something Good About Retail podcast, you can receive free information and guides when you visit RetailDoc.com and sign up for our exclusive weekly newsletter. For more information, to access the complete archives of past retail goodness, and to see about Bob speaking to your audience, please visit RetailDoc.com.